Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Friday, September the 22nd, in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and it's a Law and Gospel program. And we're taking a look at an email from Robin Schumacher. And it was entitled, The Arrogant Claims of Jesus. He, he begins by reminding us from John 7, verse 46. When the officers of Judaism were sent by the Pharisees to seize Jesus, they returned without him. And their explanation for why was the same reason Christ ended up being murdered by those who sent them. They said, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Boy, that's for sure. We read Christ's words today, and we as Christians often don't flinch. But to fresh ears back in that day, oh my, what Jesus said had many labeling him as arrogant, blasphemous, and crazy, uh, with them remarking in John 8, verse 53, why do you make yourself out to be? Who do you make yourself out to be? Although hard to do, we need to cut them a little slack and play make-believe for a minute, shall we? Imagine you sit down with Jesus for the first time over lunch, and you ask him, tell me about yourself. Well, he says, the first thing you need to know is that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's Matthew 28, verse 18. And while those two things will pass away, he's talking about judgment day, what I speak never will pass away. Matthew 24, verse 25. So what is his advice? That's why you should build your life on what I tell you much like a man who built his house on a rock. Matthew seven twenty four. Remember the other man built his house on shifting sand, and of course it fell. Then he tells us in John 6, verse 54, you should also understand that anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's right. I am the resurrection and life. If you believe in me, you will never die. Those are the words of Jesus to Martha 
when he goes to raise Lazarus from the dead. And, and that can be very confusing because Lazarus is dead, is he not? But the fact of the matter is that when a Christian dies, he does not disappear or he is not excluded from reality. His spirit still lives on. And that's why you will never die. Your spirit will go to heaven immediately. And then on judgment day, your body will be restored to your spirit. And Jesus says in John 1, verse 51, you might just see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on me. So Jesus is having this conversation with you. Well, let's see, what else? Well, I am bread that comes down out of heaven. John 6, verse 51. Also, I am the light of the world, John 8, verse 12. I am the Lord of the Sabbath, Matthew 12, verse 8. I am the good shepherd over sheep like you, John 10, 11. I don't just speak truth, but I am truth. And no one comes to the Father but by me. John 14, verse 6. And if anyone denies me, I'll deny them before God the Father. Matthew 10, verse 33. Oh, by the way, Jesus continues, I should also tell you that God and I are one and the same. John 10, verse 30. Everything that is God's is mine. John 17, verse 10. And if you don't remain with me, you'll be like a branch that dries up and gets burned, John 15, verse 6. We can be friends if you do what I command you, John 15, verse 14. But if you oppose me, well, you're proving that your father is the devil, John 8. 44. Yes, there are many arrogant claims of Jesus. And we can begin to understand how the leaders in Judaism thought that he was crazy and at times blasphemous because he was saying things that only God should say. Now, a lot of times, those arrogant claims of Jesus 
appear to contradict Christian theology, but they never do. Not if you use the distinctions between law and gospel. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. A man comes running up to Jesus and kneels before him, and he asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus begins by saying, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, Jesus isn't denying that he should be called good, but he's saying to that rich man, you need to understand that by calling me good, you are saying that I also am God. But then Jesus continues in answer to the rich man's question, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now, that, that's a very interesting statement. Examine it. What do most people do to inherit anything? They don't do anything. They inherit either because they were born into the family. They inherit because they were very pleasing to the person writing the will, but they themselves did not work on trying to inherit anything. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now, the rich man, he's listening to that. And how does he reply? Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, nobody has kept all these commandments from their youth. They haven't kept even one of them because the keeping of the commandments is just not observing them outwardly. You, you may think that you haven't killed anyone, but if you have been angry with someone without a proper cause, or if you speak against them, that's committing murder. So when he says, all these I have kept from my youth, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, if, if that isn't an arrogant claim of Jesus, that we can inherit the kingdom of God by giving all of our money away to the poor, 
and then following Jesus. Well, that rich man is so encapsulated by his riches, he went away sorrowful. And the Bible says, for he had great possessions. Jesus continues the conversation, not with the rich man, but now to his disciples. And remember, the disciples involved more than just the 12 apostles. It involved those who were following him in his ministry. Remember, after the suicide of Judas, they had to replace Judas, and they chose from the disciples, over a hundred of them, that had been involved with Jesus' ministry from the beginning. And so Jesus says to the disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, verse 24, and the disciples were amazed at his words. Now, why were they amazed? Because this was an arrogant claim of Jesus. The Jews thought that people who were wealthy had God's favor. So it would seem that rich people had the best chance to enter heaven because of all they could afford to do, particularly in the area of the ceremonial laws. Remember that Pharisee in the parable? Thank God I'm not like the tax collector because I fast, I give a tithe. The Pharisee was totally forgiving or forgetting about that he was a sinner. Jesus turned the way of thinking in Judaism upside down, saying that it can be very difficult for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God if they are trying to do so by the worth of their own merits. And that's what was so astonishing to the disciples when Jesus said, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Then again, in verse 26, the disciples were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then Jesus, who can be saved? You see, they were under the impression that you are saved by the many works that you do and that Jesus is the way of salvation by looking at your works and rewarding you with heaven. But as I have said numerous times on this program, 
we need to look at our works in the same way that a child looks at their works. When they grow up in the household, they eat the food they're given. They wear the clothes that they're provided. They sleep in the bed that is theirs. But none of that makes them a child of their parents. They already are a child by what event? Either they were born into the family, that means they were begotten, or they were adopted. So also with Christians, we do not become children of God by our works. We're born into the family of God. We're born by receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, either in baptism when we were a child or by hearing the word of God as we grow older. For faith comes by hearing the word of God. So, here's Jesus' answer to the question, then who can be saved? Probably one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. Verse 27 of Mark 10. Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Now see, we now find the arrogant claims of Jesus as being the way of salvation, that this is not a contradiction, but it is best understood by using the distinctions of law and gospel. No one is saved by obeying the law. We all fall short of the glory of God. So it is not the works that I do that bring me into a justified state in God's eyes. It is the works that Jesus has done by dying on the cross, by rising from the dead, by ascending back into heaven. Wow. You know, when you hear Jesus for the first time, you can begin to understand why some say, boy, he has a demon. He is insane. Why do you listen to him? That's John 10, verse 20. Now, you might not beat a fast retreat if you knew he'd done some pretty amazing things, though, like spontaneously curing major illnesses, bringing dead people back to life, giving sight to the blind, shutting down storms with a single word, stuffing thousands to the gills with food that started out as a sack lunch and sending demons reeling back 
to where they had come. This would help, which is why he told some of his detractors they should believe his words because of the works that he himself is doing. John 14, verse 11. But for many people, that did not happen. When he brought sight to the man born blind, they called Jesus a sinner. John 9, 24. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, they said, he has to die. John 11, verse 50. Same when he restored a man's withered hand. John 12, verse 14. When he expelled demons, they said that he was doing that through the power of the devil. Mark 3, 22. And when he himself rose from the dead, they bought off the witnesses, the soldiers who were there, telling them to lie that the disciples had stolen the body. Matthew 28, 12 and 13. Why? Well, it all boiled down to the things he said, which they considered to be outrageous, arrogant, audacious, and blasphemous. Never mind, they were true. However, he told them, they do that. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Reminds me of the forerunner of Jack Nicholas's famous line in A Few Good Men. You cannot handle the truth. They couldn't deal with his over-the-top counterclaims back then. And their offspring today can't handle his truth today when you and I say the same things about him. That's because the pesky truth has meandered through the ages, working its way through the Enlightenment, modernism, and postmodernism, and is currently entrenched in post-truth, which when coupled with pragmatism is one deadly cocktail. We're at the point where it's considered arrogant to say you have the truth about anything. Even math is supposedly fair grain, and according to some, could be considered as racist. Our culture nods in agreement with the atheist Nietzsche, who wrote, What then is truth? A mobile army of metaphors, metonymies, and anthropomorphisms. Truths are illusions, coins which have lost their pictures and now matter only as metal, 
no longer as worthy coins. The only problem with what Nietzsche says is, well, everything. Objective truth does indeed exist. And it always comes out of the mouth of Christ. Whether he is speaking from the Old Testament or throughout the New Testament. Part of the problem is that when you first hear Jesus' claims, they really aren't fuzzy, accommodating, and safe, but are instead black and white, and they demand a response. The same goes for us when we speak his truth. A.W. Tozer wrote, we are not diplomats, but prophets, and our message is not a compromise, but an ultimatum. But see, that's the issue, isn't it? When it comes to the words of Jesus, as those who had gone to arrest him and could not, because they said, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. And there is no such other man in any other religion, because only God can speak this way. And that becomes the ultimate arrogant claim of Jesus, that he is God. That according to John chapter 1, nothing was created in the entire world that was not created by this human being named Jesus, who being God became incarnate, namely a human being through the Virgin Mary. So, yes, we preach arrogant claims of Jesus, but we'll continue to preach them as a church, for they are truth, and as people hear them and accept and believe them, they too are saved and taken from this world to heaven itself. Join us Monday for a continuation of Law and Gospel. God Listen bless you. Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.